it's bad for you. It's unhealthy for you not to talk and not to be in conversation. So God built us that way. So stepping into those types yes. of groups, they're life-changing. And, and I've seen it in my life and I've seen it in many others' lives as well. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage, strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Before we start the show, I have something to share with you. If you or someone close to you is suffering from a sense of anxiety or loneliness, the truth is anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness affecting 40 million adults in the United States every year alone. And according to a recent study, more than 60% of Americans report feeling lonely, left out, poorly understood and lacking companionship. This matters a lot because loneliness is stressful enough to raise all cause mortality by up to 30%. So I've written a free guide with 10 ways you can start to overcome anxiety and defeat your loneliness. Don't wait on positive emotions. Learn how to create them for yourself starting right now. You can grab the guide by heading over to drmartinfletcher.com. That's doctor spelled drmartinfletcher.com. Dr. Marty Fletcher here. I am the shrink of the Shepherd and Shrink podcast. And today we have Jeff Black, campus pastor at Northridge Church, here to discuss the state of mental health in the church and maybe how we deal with it. Good afternoon, I guess it is, <laughs> Jeff. Thanks, Marty. So nice to be here and excited to be a part of the program. Yeah, you're the first guest. The first? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would hate to follow this, right, as <laughs> guest number two. Or, or it can only get better from here, but, you know, we'll have to make that <laughs> Afterwards, but yeah. <laughs> it's gonna be great because you're gonna teach us so much about what you see, like right on the ground in mental health. Because there's weird stuff with the mental health in the church that I hear. JP Moreland just wrote a book. You're familiar with JP Moreland's work? Yeah, all right. So he put out a book that really got my attention on some of the things, some of the uh, misunderstandings, prejudice, and just confusion about how to deal with mental health in the church. So, what are you seeing on the ground there? And let's talk about also the younger people all the way up through the different developmental stages. Well, I mean, specifically for, from a mental health standpoint, I mean, obviously this past year has just been a number on every human being on the planet for mental health. Uh, as it relates to the church, I, I think I felt more tension in the mental health area because of how do you respond to it? How does a Christian respond to it? Should I be feeling the way I'm feeling? Should I be getting anxious about the certain thing? I mean, like we have different people on different sides of not only political equations, but also what they believe about the virus itself and all the things that are happening. You know what I mean? And, and, and I think that affects their mental health as well. Like, am I operating out of fear and sh I shouldn't be doing that as a Christian or should I be following, you know, my leaders? And, and so anyways, all of those factors, I think have really put a lot of people in a uh, pretty much bad states from a mental health standpoint. I mean, to be honest with you, it's, it's, you know, marriages are really struggling right now. I've got four kids and they range from 16 all the way down to nine. Thank God they've been handling it well, 
but a lot of their friends, yeah. they, they, they tell me about this when they come home from school, their friends that are struggling. And, you know, I think what's happened that going back to the church specifically, even their friends in their youth group and that kind of stuff are, are just struggling with different things and families are, are really hurting right now. And so all that compounded, I think, leaves the Christian kind of wondering, what should my response be? Like almost like a, what would Jesus do and how should I be operating? And, and that puts a lot of stress on them as individuals and as families. Do you think that as Christ followers, there are some, you know, nuances and maybe even complications about even addressing mental illness? Do you know what I mean by that? So some people think that, no, that's not a mental illness. That's a God problem. You just have to pray more or don't take medication or don't see a psychologist. They're probably secular. And are you familiar with that line of reasoning? Yeah, I think, I mean, more lately, that's not been the case, or at least, I mean, different churches are different ways. And I think, and I'm I'm speaking broad, so I don't mean to label any type of traditional Mm -hmm. church a certain way, but from a church that I came from several years back, I do know there is a group of people in there that that would talk about mental health issues, even some like substance issues, and they wouldn't label those as uh, like they would label those almost as sinful. And I hate to even put that word out there, but Mm -hmm. where, you know, where it's not, not so much an actual issue that's chemical or medical or or even physical. It's a, it's a sin issue. It's a choice issue. And from what I've experienced in just talking with people and I don't have, you know, any degrees in any of this kind of stuff, but no, it's, it's absolutely a real issue. And I don't, I think now moreover though, the church is, is, accepted that. In fact, our, the church right now, we have a really strong group. It's called Care Ministries. And hundreds and hundreds of people, even now virtually, are gathering every Monday night to meet together in different groups and discuss these issues and struggles. And so I think the church is doing a better job as a yeah. whole, but especially the church. I mean, now I'm really proud of, proud is the wrong word, but you know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm really happy and, and glad to be a part of a ministry that reaches out to the human being, you know what I mean? Because, yeah. uh, Hey, this is a, this is a human thing that we're experiencing. And I think those, those spiritual and mental health go hand in hand in a lot of cases. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's the point of this podcast. I mean, um, <laughs> it, it can go both ways. It can affect your spirituality negatively if you're ha- suffering from a mental illness, but it can also do a wonders to last episode. I actually, talked about that, about uh, just the amazing health effects. If Christianity is practiced with seriousness and fidelity, it can be incredible as an adjunct, maybe not as a primary, but sometimes as a primary, uh, you know, spiritual problems show up as mental illness problems. What I'm hoping we could do at the end of this, after we kind of look at the problem and, you know, assess and survey it, that we'll talk about our own mental health as far as you want to go with it and what Christianity has done and maybe even adjunctive stuff. You you know what I mean? That would go along with that. But I want to tell you, I think you're right that it's on the radar now. I found in 2018, a study, a survey. And remember, this was before the pandemic and before all this crazy political stuff that you mentioned that has people Mm -hmm. really stressed out. So it's going to be worse now. Pastors in this survey said that they saw 74% of them said that they knew someone diagnosed with clinical depression. That's a real common. That's a lot, man. That's three out of four pastors said they to, to encounter that. And more than half, so it's like six out of 10 even, said that they knew at least three people fell into that category, right? So you know where they're going to come first. They're going to come to you. Mm-hmm. I'm actually surprised that those numbers are so low because I think more and more people are being diagnosed with clinical depression. And um, mm-hmm. this is going to sound weird, but I, I also think that this is just something that God designs in us when we reach the end of our rope, if you will, whether we're Christian or not, 
I think uh, when you are diagnosed with clinical depression or you're in that realm, you're searching for a way out. And I think a lot of people seek spirituality. I, I won't say religion, although I think religion it starts off being a religious focus and they go to church or they go to a pastor or they go to somebody that somebody's pastor, you know what I mean? They, they almost reach out to find God or find an answer to all of this. So anyways, I, that's why I'm surprised. I would actually think that, <laughs> you know, 10 out of 10 pastors would be like, yeah, because I think a lot more people are coming forward, especially in the church, seeking help with with clinical depression. Right. And I think you're probably right because this was prior to this. So it was already Mm -hmm. bad that the suicide rate was skewing younger or attempts rather and rate Mm -hmm. was skewing younger and it was being diagnosed more frequently. And we know that for sure because of, you know, emergency room and hospitalization, you know, so so it's a real thing. I think you're right. It's gone up from there, which means, you know. We have to be wise in how we approach this, and it'll be multifaceted, I would think, too. Could you tell me a little bit about the program that you're running at Northridge? For, that's, for you know. Care Ministries, yeah. So I, I don't directly run the program. My role as campus pastor at our Brighton campus is to take the ministry of Northridge that comes out of our, our main campus in Plymouth mm-hmm. and really redevelop those ministries out at, a, at another location. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like, you know, church plants, that kind of thing like that. But so we take those similar ministries and we do them locally. And so Care Ministries is run by a group of three individuals, Kelly Lindsay, Heather Asher, our our care ministry directors, and then Nick Phillips is one of our care ministry pastors. But it spawned out of, uh, gosh, this has been on for probably two decades now, coming out of, uh, what was it called? Like Hurts, Hangups, and Habits. Um, It was a program that that kind of came out, a Christian program that was launched a while back and and Northridge started doing that at at the church. But then it it really opened up the door to more avenues of of really mental health and, and just challenges that people are facing to where, gosh, I think one of the taglines is everybody needs care. Like there's not a ministry within care that couldn't reach a certain person where they're at and provide help and, and just encouragement. And Care Ministries is not so much a Bible study program as it is a group program where people gather together. There are leaders that are trained and approved that meet with groups now virtually, but before they'd meet in person. I mean, hundreds of people would come out on Monday nights, especially when we were in person. Childcare was offered, that kind of thing. But it, anyways, it was about an hour to an hour and a half program where people would come together. They would have a time of socialization, like they talk and kind of catch up and then really get into the meat of the group session. Some of those are very directed by studies, you know what I mean? Uh Um, Like we have, I'm actually also a men's ministry director over Northridge. And so uh, connected to some of the men's groups through care, where we have different different struggles for men. Anger management is one of the big ones. Another one is recovering from pornography addiction, Mm -hmm. sexual immorality, a study that's involved around that, as well as just a general men's care study. And and it's, it's, I don't want to call it like a, a self-help kind of, it's not like a group it's hard to describe unless you like actually sit in and watch it because we also have like 12-step programs and women's programs and stuff like that but we also have couples and marriage counseling that happens within care so it's it's kind of like different groups that meet at the same time but just in different rooms or different areas for different reasons and I can't tell you over the years, just the thousands of people that have been helped by this. And then the stories upon stories of people that have, you know, found victory in this. Now there've been ups and downs in the program itself. You know, even when we went virtually, it was a big hit on, on the, uh, the ministry itself where, you know, I, th- I think we experienced like half the people were connecting virtually than were in person. Yeah. 
Now that that number is growing, I think as COVID is kind of extended and our virtual reality, if you will, yeah. is extended where we're just yeah. having to do that, a lot more people are signing up more often. But anyways, that gives you kind of a brief idea of what Care Ministries is. But I'll tell you what, I think where people have found their like community groups or their Bible studies, which are great things, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm where they found those lacking and helping them right where they're at, like with a certain particular issue, that's where Care Ministries has really filled that gap. And so uh, it's, it's, it's a really cool thing that we, that we offer. I think that's great. First of all, and you make a, a lot, a few points that I think are worth underscoring. One, those problems that you mentioned, like, you know, sexual misconduct or whatever you called it. What did you call it? <laughs> sexual immorality struggles. Immorality, or, you know. okay. And pornography and relationship problems. Those oftentimes have anxiety disorders because anxiety makes people irritable, threat sensitive, negative thinking. Depression is really tough on just talk to any caregiver. It's, you know, it's, it's really tough on the spouses. So you're going to see some overlap in that. I like what you're doing because in that very same survey, they asked the uh, respondents, you know, what do you want to see? Okay. In there. And it sounds like you, you're doing a pretty good job of this. So 74% wanted help in finding local resources that they could trust in dealing with mental illness. 63% wanted to hear the church talk about it more openly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, pastors were saying that they were more often than the congregants were saying that they were hearing it, but how do you define a mental illness, right? That's probably where it is. You're probably coming through on an angle to, to address it. Uh, 61% wanted more education in that and also training, you know, for the church to understand and then just, just awareness, well, one of the things that I appreciate, and this is not a commercial for our church, but one of the reasons why I'm here in this ministry is I believe in the leadership and the in the church itself. Northridge has always spoke from the platform about real life issues because we teach the Bible. We don't water down the gospel truth. We don't change the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and, and that we, we proclaim that full wholeheartedly. But also we realize this, if our, our total dependence is on Jesus, if we're learning to, to, to live like Jesus and love Jesus and love God and love others more, certain things are going to conflict with that. Natural tendencies, human tendencies, these issues, if you will, like are going to pop up. And so we, we speak to that from the stage and have for, for decades, our, our senior pastor, Brad Powell, and I'm not just saying this because he's my boss, but also a good friend, phenomenal speaker in that regard, where he takes, hey, here is the human problem. It's not so much a, here's what bad people do. It's like, no, this is your problem. It's my problem. It's a human problem, that, that a human condition, I think he actually calls it in his messages. Here's what the Bible says about it. Here's what Jesus says about it. And then here's the application that we can do. First off, come to know Christ. That's, that's a step, you know, getting to, to have a relationship with him. And then practical applications within our life. Now, obviously, he doesn't go down a deep tunnel on one particular issue, or you know, it's it's very broad because we have thousands of people that come to Northridge services and, and hear the message. So he can't get that specific always. But that's where we then lean into, hey, but check out our care ministries that can help you with those areas. But um, so the church speaks to that, you know, almost every Sunday, if not every Sunday. And then yeah. I think where, where in the past we haven't done a good job is really facilitating these, what happens during the week. Because from Sunday to Sunday, I can come on Sunday and hear a message be like, yes, all right, I'm going to fix that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then, you know, by Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I've already forgotten it. I need yes. that constant community of, of believers to surround me and, and do that. And that's where the church is getting better at. I mean, with our certain ministries, but I think, you know, with having groups of people that are really, you know, connecting to each other, encouraging each other is, is where we can do better at too, though. 
Yeah. And I like that a lot too, because people are, have never been lonelier, right? We have more ways to connect with people like the zoom thing that half of the people duck down on because that's not what they call social, <laughs> not what they want for social. Right. But we're lonely, alienated mm-hmm. people. We feel like we're so separate and that nobody cares. A few people care about us that we're not relevant at all. So, you know, just having people together in groups can have a positive effect. Oh, but then to sure. take a look at these issues and, and, and be even strategic and, and psychoeducational is a beautiful thing. And it's really hard to get personal over Zoom to talk about issues. I mean, you talk, you know, when you're in person, you can try to hide things and make them, but you can hide them a lot easier when you're on a virtual connection. You know, you can disconnect pretty easily. So it's it's rough to, to deal with those. So having those in-person groups are, or I will call them just relationships where we can be real with people and even see each other face-to-face is, is really valuable. So hopefully we can get back to more of those soon. But, you know, anyways, it's something that the church, regardless of COVID, uh, needs to constantly get better at, you know, creating environments, I think, to allow people encourage people to connect. We don't even need to create the, we need to create the encouragement that they're creating their own environments to do that. Yeah. I hear that. Another doesn't get talked about very much, but pastors are stressed. They're, they're, they're overworked often. I know. Right. And they can, anything can get sick. Like these Mm -hmm. are stress related, primarily illnesses. So depression is just compounded stress over time, psychosocial stress, you know, physical stress, nutrition stress, all you get enough of those. And then, you know, the body complains and you start to get sick, right? So pastors are at risk, like a lot of healers and caregivers, right? In in that study, 12% of the pastors in that sample were actually formally diagnosed and, you know, 20, over 20%, 23% indicated that they had battled a mental illness. Are they getting enough attention? Uh, yeah. If, if the pastors get enough attention in that, I, I think, unfortunately, and it's not because the attention is not there. I think pastors, at least other ones that I know of, sometimes we're afraid to just be real and mm-hmm. admit what's going on. I mean, I, I, I'm guilty of that too. Like, I'm afraid to admit to other people that I'm trying to help and point to Jesus that I struggle. You know what I mean? Because why would I listen to you? you? You've got the same problems I do, but there's a realness in the connection to that. So I, I think some pastors just don't bring it up. Not that the help isn't available for them. I, I listened to this podcast where uh, Carrie Newhoff and David Barna from Barna Institute have been talking about pastors in the health of the church. Like, and this has actually happened all through, through COVID. It's really interesting at the start of this all, they, they, you know, are interviewing pastors. How are you doing? What's, where are you at? Are you encouraged? Are you excited? At the beginning of it, the pastors were discouraged about the shutdown, but very encouraged. Like, I think this is going to be a great time where our congregation grows and our faith and blah, blah, blah. I'm feeling encouraged and I'm ready to move forward. Now that we're nine, 10, 12 months later, we see a rise in pastors that are leaving that are quitting, that don't feel equipped to do the ministry anymore because of this. They're seeing their congregations disperse and hurting and very discouraged. So I I think coming out even of this, pastors who typically are are more the encouraging type, like we're helping point people to Jesus and, and encouraging people to walk in their faith. Once we elongate this where we're discouraged and things are just falling apart. I could see it being a a real problem that we're going to have to address if we're not already addressing. And, you know, for myself, I I have people in my life though, that I can be real with. And I think that's a must Uh, for everybody, you know, but that's a must. We, I need to be able to talk to somebody and say like, here's what I'm, here's what, here's what bothers me right now. Here's what I'm upset about right now. And if I don't let that out, then that just builds up over time. And eventually I just break. 
And, you know, so having those people that we can really speak to that, that know us well, that, that love us and care about us and, and can, and can speak truth to us in love. You know what I mean? That I can be fully vulnerable with. And one of those, you know, I'm really blessed. Praise God is my spouse, my wife, Selena. She's somebody that I can confide in and we're very real with each other, which God has blessed us with, you know, cause that doesn't always happen in relationships, but we're really real with each other. And then I also have a group of men that, that I meet with regularly we grow in that relationship where we can talk to each other and point out, Hey, I noticed you even, even I think it's been cool lately. They've, I noticed you had a weird face on that last call that we, you know, through zoom, you know, I noticed you had a weird face. Uh, Is everything okay, man? You know, I, I, then I reflect on it. I'm like, you know, it's not, I, I wasn't even meaning to make a face, but here's what I'm dealing with. So I, you know, having that group of people that we can fight and talk to and work through things is, is really valuable as well. Sorry. I know I went, that was a long answer. No, sure. I, I'm glad. I'm so glad that you said that. Cause I, I belong to a men's group and I'm not like a groupy kind of guy by nature. So I was, I reluctantly did it. I've been in for a few years and boy, you feel so good when you're done with that. So that's just a word of encouragement to just get involved. Like they want you there. People yeah. don't want to go in. Cause they're like, Oh, what do I got to say? And you know, no, they want you there. They want, if they've invited you in that group or, you know, they want you there. So they're going to do everything to make you comfortable. God created us to be in relationships. Yes. I mean, it's obviously Adam and Eve. Okay. And, and, and even more beyond just the uh, male, female relationships, that kind of thing. He created us to, to have friendships, to, to encourage one another. The scriptures are full of the idea of relationships. So when we isolate or when we try to do things on our own, or we close off and we don't, we're not meeting with other people, it's not healthy for us. In fact, even if we're like more recluse or if we're more like introspective, like we're not people, people, like I'm a people person, like, you know, I have to be out, but like one of my kids is, is very, like, he's not as people oriented. He, he's fine to stay at home. You know what I mean? But over time, if he's not interacting with other kids, if he's not building relationships with others. And so for, for people in general, if they're more introspective, it's bad for you. It's unhealthy for you not to talk and not to be in conversation. So God built us that way. So stepping into those types of groups they're life-changing. And, and I've seen it in my life and I've seen it in many other lives as well. I'm, I'm, I'm going to really agree with that. The Geneva Convention, under the Geneva Convention, it's torture to isolate someone for too long. We don't do that to anyone because we know how it's considered torture, right? Mm-hmm. One sort of challenge is that if you do have anxiety and depression, because anxiety is like, okay, I'm fearful, right? I, I, I don't feel, I don't feel that feeling of trust. I feel that feeling of hypervigilance and alarm. They're going to be less reluctant, but they to, to go in there and depressed people tend to isolate just all like all sick mammals, you know, they go away until they get sick. But then that's when we really need the encouragement and the trust of a church body because the church is the body of Christ. You can't be everything, but you can be part of that body, an important part of that body. And, and so, so, so to feel welcomed into that, I think the church has a giant role to play in um, mental health for the entire culture. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about that. It was a little vague, but I, I think you're going to have a lot to say about this. Okay. Because what I, I'm kind of new to this, this is about you, not me, but I'll tell you just to set the context. I've only been at this since 2014. I had enough education that it was educated out of me and I didn't understand it anyway. So no big loss. But when I came to the faith and had the Holy spirit and I knew it was, I checked it out with Matt hook just to confirm it. And my life had changed so much and it was so obvious physically I was transformed. And, and I I had the thought as a psychologist, why are we not talking about this more? This is something that would really, you know, get, people motivated like wow no you actually you don't have to wait to go to heaven to, to to get the benefits the benefits begin immediately 
because it is counter to the world. So if you could talk a little bit about like, what are like key ideas in Christianity, in the Christian path and walking the way, going the way and following Christ, what are some of the most valuable you know, habits of thought, changes in behavior that just really lead to this great physical, emotional, relational health? Mm, that's a really great question. I think so, some of the best things here is that are different that I find than, than other religions that, that I've studied or know people that are part of, because there are, there are a lot of obviously religions in the world. Christianity offers a, a true hope and, and peace. And, and I, I think you said something really cool a minute ago, like you don't have to just wait for heaven. Like that's Christianity is a hope for eternity, eternal life with, with, with God. Once you're accepted Christ as your Lord and savior. I mean, that's, that's an eternal hope. We have this hope in the future. We don't have to keep focusing on the temporary because we know the eternal that's, but also Christ came to give us life and life more abundant. Like that's life. Like right now, like, it's not like this future hope. What does more abundant life look like? Does it mean like I'm just gonna I'm gonna have a lot more stuff once I sign up with God? Like I'm gonna start getting stuff and my my life's gonna be great. I'll have this great house, great life. You know what I mean? No, in fact, it's exactly the opposite in Christian life. God promises us that we're gonna struggle. He promises us we're gonna have trials. It says it in the Bible, and and we believe that you know the Bible be God's word. There's nothing in this reality that that we're experiencing that contradicts what the Bible said. Everything in there is true. And, and so you can read it and then experience life, even as a non-Christian. I have a lot of non-Christian friends that, you know, they can't point anything out to me in the Bible that contradicts real life. Like, so anyways, God promises us that we're going to have struggles, right? How do, what makes a Christian life better with this is that Christ gives us hope. He gives us a, a hope that, that we don't have to be in control, that God is in control. We can trust him and that we can depend on him. And, and when we start looking to God for direction, for guidance. The Bible also talks about this. There's a, there's a peace that, that, that transcends all understanding. And it's difficult. It's easy to say it and even regurgitate, you know, a verse like, you know, that's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay. I can say that. That's easy to say. What does it mean to live it out? Well, if God promised me that, I need to actually, when I start to be anxious and experience anxiety, I can say like this, okay, wait, I'm anxious about this. Why am I so anxious? Well, this is happening. This is happening. Okay, well, what does the Bible say right there? By prayer and petition, you know, and with thanksgiving, present your request. So I go to God in prayer. God, here's what I'm dealing with. Like, I'm anxious about, I'll just give you a real anxiety for me personally. I'm anxious about our church like my campus, like we used to have hundreds and hundreds of people coming in each and every weekend. And now there's nobody coming. And I don't know that we're connecting. Well, I don't know how people are necessarily doing where more and more I'd see them on the weekend, or I talk to them more often. And I'm just, I'm concerned about families that are struggling. I'm concerned about people in their faith. So I, I go to God and I go, God, like, what is going on? I'm anxious about this. You know, I know that you have answers. I, I don't understand. I don't know like the next step I'm supposed to take, but I'm anxious about this. Can you just speak to me? And there's, I think just in saying the words out loud and knowing that I have a heavenly father that's listening to me automatically, I'm comforted. And I think that's something to do with like, you know, even from a, a psychological standpoint, when we express things out loud, that brings healing. But I think knowing that we're also heard brings healing. I know that I have a heavenly father that's the God of this universe. He hears me. And when I say that, I can relax and realize, you know what, God, this isn't out of your control. You knew this was going to happen. 
you're not up there pacing around going, what is Brighton campus going to do? Oh my gosh. I know. No, he's, he's in control and he loves me and he cares about me. And he's glad I'm concerned about that. But then that piece that he gives me also now I can, that's going to guard my heart. It's going to guard my mind. So like next weekend, when our, our attendance is low, or I hear about another family that's struggling, I can go like, okay, I don't need to be anxious about this. God's got this. What can I do in, in the stead? Here's what I can do rather than focusing on like what we can't do. I've, I've, anyways. So again, another long answer, forgive me for just like being so, so robust, that's great. This, but, but I, I think that that's one thing that we have a peace and a hope that I don't see anywhere else. And, and I think one of the things that Christianity, we respond in crisis, true followers of Christ respond in crisis differently than, than the rest of the world. And that's something throughout the last couple of centuries. And I think especially in this pandemic world that you see more often is Christ followers, the way they respond. You know what I mean? And not, and not, not that, you know, we don't mess up and, you know, but there's a difference about that. So anyways, I think those are some things that we can have as Christ followers that, that will help us in that mental mental state as well. That's key, what you just said, because what people want to feel when we get down to it, if I have someone who's, everybody comes to see me because they've pushed it too far. So now they're going to take some action and they're suffering. Oftentimes they don't know why they're suffering. So when we get down to it and, you know, and they're not clear, I'll say, well, what do you want to feel more of? And what do you want to feel less of? Because that's why they're there. They feel awful. And when we get down to it, they say peace. Mm. They, they want peace. Now, what you mentioned is like, you can have a peace because the burden of solving these ginormous problems is lifted off of you. But we have to obey because if you don't <laughs> obey, and that means the hard stuff, right? Because it's a path. One thing that helped me as much as anything, and this is an obedience and it was hard to do for me was to forgive everybody just to forget. And Christ talked about that a lot, right? Right. Forgiveness. Have you found that like in your own life that, that there's a transformation that happens and a space that opens up and a calm that comes, if you can actually do that, can you talk about forgiveness a little bit? I got to So being completely transparent, I haven't had a lot happen in my life where I've had to receive forgiveness or offer forgiveness. I mean, I've screwed up enough where I, yeah, I have to offer, ask for forgiveness, but I don't have anything that, that I hold on to that, you know, just being honest where I can speak to it though, is what I've seen in other people's lives that I've talked to or encouraged or prayed with about forgiveness, like families, you know what I mean? Where somebody does something that, that betrays the family's trust, or they walk away from the family, or they somewhat disown because they've went their own way. And they, you know what I mean? And it hurts the family. And there's this, you know, this, this um, tension and that builds up. And I mean, some people just years and years and years of this anger and this, but they don't say anything about it. And it's just this unforgiveness that's there. And there's no joy in that, that relationship anymore. And so, but when I, what I've seen and speaking to that, what I've seen is when people finally are able to offer that forgiveness and receive that forgiveness at the same time, it's like a restored relationship. You know what I mean? There was a, a gal that I had prayed for and her and her husband and talked to them about uh, particularly forgiving her sister who had, had really harmed her and their relationship was just this, it was moving on. Like they still got, a, they still talked and got along, but there was these underlining issues that she would never bring up and never talk about. And, and unfortunately, they, you know, they talked about the sister a lot. You know what I mean? Like it was like, it was a, it was a battle between the husband and the wife sometimes. 
I said, you know, I prayed with him about offering forgiveness and talking to her sister about forgiveness. She said when she actually talked to her sister openly and said, hey, you might not even feel this, but I, I forgive you. I've been holding this against you, what you did and what happened. And she even admitted, I know I was part of the problem. Please forgive me. She said it was like her and her sister had a brand new lot in life, a brand new lot in their relationship. It was like a whole brand new relationship that had started as a result of that. So when you talk about receiving and offering forgiveness, that's huge. If we're harboring that, that's a burden that that tear you apart for the rest of your life. And, and you're robbed. You and the people you are not forgiving or not receiving forgiveness from, you are robbed of the abundant life if you don't obediently follow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's that reconciliation is brings peace to us. I'm glad that you also said that about being forgiven because that's the, that, that's the real problem that I see more often probably. Well, probably it's balanced because to actually feel forgiven, because like we were there for every dumb, rude, stupid thing we've ever done. We saw it. We were there. We were doing it. People have a hard time feeling that they are, I think, worthy of it, right? They doubt their own forgiveness. And that's that's heavy. Do you see that? For sure. I mean, forgiveness from other people, but also, I mean, we're forgiven in Christ. And that's I, what I'm saying. I feel that. I feel that. Like, I'm not worthy of, uh, like, you know, I, I think of a God that loves me no matter what. And no matter how many times I go my own way, do my own thing, whatever sin is sin. You know what I mean? I'm not it's, you know, there are good things in there. Some people try to level sin out, you know what I mean? But like sin is sin, but no matter how many times I go against God's will and God's way for me, he still loves me and comes back to me. I I just don't understand that. I can't humanly understand that. So I doubt my own forgiveness, but that's something that you just, you you receive and you accept as a reality. It's by faith that we're, we're accepting that, you know what I mean? So, but I think people don't feel worthy of accepting that. I also think that some cases I'll speak to myself again too, When I admit that I need forgiveness, I admit that I can't do it on my own. And that I Mm. almost like, I need somebody else to get my, to function. Like, and this happens a lot in our men's groups. And as a man, like you want to do things on your own. Like you don't want to need anybody. You want to be able to, to make it happen, be the guy or the gal, however you want to call it. Like, so to, to, to realize and recognize that you need forgiveness is very humiliating and it's tough to do. Like, it, it, you know, it's admitting I can't do this on my own. I need something. I need your forgiveness to, yeah, anyway. So that, that's tough for me. Oh man. Um, and you're right. It, it is, it is humility. Right. But what I found, cause I was, I was arrogant. I was anxious about everything. I worried all the time when this happened for me, I found that like humility feels really good. Like it takes, it feels the pressure's gone. So much of the pressure's gone and I have to beat myself up. I expect to make mistakes and screw up. I don't want to, but I'm never surprised when it happens, right? Because I'm human. And that really really relieved a lot of that, you know, arrogance, self-righteousness. And boy, are we seeing a lot of pride in the world. Just narcissistic thinking of I'm right, you're wrong. Why even bother with even listening and understanding you? Uh, by some, you know, self-professing Christians too. I see it in them too. And I'm like, that's a clear violation of what you're commanded to do. You don't even know you're doing it. Well, and I think that's where Christianity, that's why I think the world rejects Christianity in a way, although there there are certain parts about it that the Bible says they're going to. But like when I look at something and I, re- I realize that's a direct contradiction of what you're trying to offer, you know what I mean? It's a false Christian. It's a false, it's a religious thing. It's not a, it's not what Christ came to give us, which was freedom. When you talked about experiencing that, like, so to say it like, Hey, being humble is the best thing for you. That doesn't sound right. 
but when you experience it, that's where you're just like, oh my gosh, like I, I see the change in me. I feel the change in me. I, my life feels right. And this is why I think Christianity, going back to your other question, one of the things it offers, it's the way God originally intended it. When we start to change and become more like Jesus and start living out what he's teaching us and what we're bringing in, we start living it out. It feels right. It feels like this is the way its life is supposed to be. And even though bad things happen around us, we're able to work through and get through and experience joy and peace because it's like the way life was supposed to be. And I mean, that's what righteousness is. It's making something right. You know what I mean? And so that's, that's another benefit of Christianity. I got, got back onto an old track. Sorry about that. No, I, I, I like that because look, and it's going to look a lot, lot, lot different in the world. You're going to be a lot different than the world, what the world's because you mentioned like getting things and things like that. So people who might pray for that kind of stuff, you do get them because you follow God's righteous path, you know, seek first the kingdom of God. Those things come, but they really don't matter very much. I say this a lot because that was, I was amazed by it. all the things I thought I wanted that were going to make me happy that I put all my faith in, like is an idolatry, you know what I mean? Status, recognition, my ego, money, worldly success and all that kind of stuff. Okay. I got humbled and then started, found the path the best I can with lots of help, lots of prayer and petition and people around me, you know, lots of effort too. They did come in ways that I didn't think that they would, but I don't care because I'm so high on this other thing that's more valuable. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And that, yeah, because, and I think it looks differently for, for everybody, like the different lifestyles to what happens to us, the, you know, I mean, the career paths we're on. So like, you know, money and material possessions you may have, and you may have not, but as a Christ follower, like you said, it doesn't matter. Like what I do have, my identity is now found in God and in Christ. I'm a child of God. And like, that is, that is all the encouragement I need. That's all the wealth that I need. And yeah, I mean, sometimes I, we forget that as Christ followers, or we, 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 you know, we get distracted by things. And that, that's a big factor in our, our, our day and age as Americans, we get distracted from our, our need of God in our lives. I do. But I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, all those things don't matter. If I do, okay, that's just, thank you, God. If I don't, thank you, God. You know what I mean? I've got everything I need in Jesus and and that's all that, that he's more than enough for me. And so living in that reality though, and like trusting in it, but then like, you know, acting it out, living it out. That's where we start experiencing, you know, even more of what the abundant life Jesus talks about, I believe. Yeah. And, I, and, and that's where I think the disciplines come in. Mm-hmm. Because like, look, we're going to what if 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 it, we say this like Donald Tab, the psychologist, if it wires together, it fires together, right? That means that if you and I start playing a lot of golf, we're gonna develop motor plans and things that are gonna get locked in and become automatic, right? If we just go to church on Sunday for a reset, it's not gonna be as effective. It has to be all the time, everywhere, as much. And then as we stray, like we always do, like you just mentioned. It was innocent. It's like a child out on a walk on a path. They see a butterfly. Okay, it's their nature to just go, that's interesting and get out the path. And then God will gently correct us, not come down with the ruler on the knuckles, right? He would gently bring us back in and then it's all forgotten. And you can continue on living in in the kingdom of God Mm -hmm. and pursuing the kingdom of God. That's, man, that, that takes away so many more of the problems, you know, the mental health problems. 
Well, and, and then you, you know, for one, we don't have the guilt of the straying, like you said, like, you know, yeah, that's forgiven and free. We're free from that because I think that can tear us down. The times we make mistakes, we don't have to live in that anymore. Our, our senior pastor coined this term, failure isn't final. In Christ, when we fail, it's not our, it's not our finality. It's not who we identify ourselves as, you know, anymore. Whereas with the world, those are labels that we get. You know what I mean? When you mess up, that's who you are. You know, and unfortunately, I find even uh, this is kind of straying off topic a little bit, but like I find a lot more people are identifying with their sinful nature as their identity. This is who I am, accept me for who I am. And we're not defined that way. We're not supposed to be defined that way. And so, you know, God breaks down all of those titles, whether they're good or bad, and, and we can, we have new identity in Him. And, you know, you, you talked about obedience. And I, I think for, for me, I was just speaking personally for a long time, even as a, as a pastor. I was really tired and like I was doing my best and I tried and I tried and I was, you know, doing all the things expected of me, but I was not experiencing like freedom and I was getting burned out quite often, or I found my self-worth in the programs that I was putting on and performing and the lives that were being touched and changed by it. I was finding my success and acceptance in that. And if a program failed, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm horrible. What's wrong with me? Am I sinning or something like that? Like what's going, you know? And God helped me realize something that I was too dependent on my own strength to, to live out in like these, these things that God was trying to live in me. And I was trying to do it on my own without like asking for asking God for help, asking for help from others and, 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 you know, that kind of thing like that. And, and what that was, was disobedience. Yeah, ultimately, you know, God was calling me to live out, let, allow him surrender my life, allow him to live out through me. And I was saying, I hear your truth, God, but I'm just going to do it on my own the way I think it's best. Thank you. Thanks for the instruction, but I don't need you anymore. I'm going to do it myself. That was disobedience. It, it wasn't until, and even though my actions spoke obedience, I wasn't experiencing joy. I wasn't, exp I was experiencing struggle. And it came to me actually in a conference where I was a part of, and there was a, a speaker there that had a book series. And uh, I don't need to necessarily advertise that the book series, great book series, but it changed my life because it helped me realize that it wasn't about me trying anymore. Christ had done all the work. It was about me surrendering. Now there is work in surrender. There is once I've received, I allow God to live out through me and I follow, I actually do things. I don't just sit there and allow God to, to do all of it. Like I have to surrender and then I have to live it out, but it's relying and trusting in God's power and obediently when God corrects me on something, okay, I receive it and I have to live it out and correct it. But it's not about how good I do at it. It's about what God is doing through me. And so that, that transformed my, my Christian walk. It actually, and, and, and a lot of people that I talk to in the church when, when we do like counseling or just people who are struggling, I find they say this often. They say, I try and I try to be a good Christian. I keep trying and like, I keep messing up. And I, I'm like, well, for one, you're, you're relying only on your own strength. Like we're always going to fail. We're all, that's just hu human nature. We're going to fail. But if we're, if we're trusting in God's strength and in God, first off that, that burden gets lifted there, we can re rest in God's strength. And, and so that's transformed my life and, and, and many other people as we learn to, you know, that it's about what God does in us and through us and what we allow him to do, you know, living out that obedience. Right, right. There's a line in scripture, you'll tell me what book probably, that says, for this is the love of God. I think it's First John. For this is the love of God that we obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. That was a relief to me because when we say obey, there's a, sort of this implicit like assumption that, oh, I'm going to have to do something that's against my nature that won't be good. It's going <laughs> to, 
you know, I don't want to do that. No, you actually feel better when you obey those. They're not given to set traps for us. They're given so we can have the life that you described. Absolutely. Right? Life abundant. To God's principles and even the Ten Commandments themselves, when we abide by them and live by them, it's the right way of living. We experience yes. true joy because hey, God created us. He knows our tendencies. He knows our human nature. He gives us those things as an instruction manual so that we'll have life more abundantly. When we make the mistakes and we have the consequences of, of broken world, broken sinful life, they're consequences, they're bad things. But when we when we trust in and live out those things, you know, like you said, not as a, oh, I'm afraid of God's going to punish me, but when I live it out because it's like, this is the, the way to do it it's like following the, the right path and it makes sense. And it, yeah, it definitely changes the burden of, of the law. And Jesus said this too, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Think of that as, as any, any relationship, love relationship, like with my wife. Like if I truly say I love my wife, not that, okay, I'm going to do what she says, like obey, but I'm going to take what she says in high esteem. And I'm going to like, consider it. And, and, and I, I want to have a relationship with her, a love relationship. So I'm going to listen to her. I'm going to take that in and I'm going to do my best to, to live it out for, for her happiness and my own and same vice versa, but any love relationship. And I think that even goes to what you said about church. Like if I'm, if I'm only talking to my wife, like one hour a week or taking time out of my, my schedule to spend time with my wife, what kind of relationship is that? You know what I mean? There's, that's no relationship. And so that's church, that's religion. And there's a reason why religion leaves us feeling empty. It's because it's not a relationship. It's not what God came to give us through Jesus. That's a reconciliation relationship with Jesus. And when you talked about your life transformation, that's exactly what happened. You were, you were ushered into a reconciliation with God so that it's not just once a week that we can experience God, but every single day, every single moment of our lives, you know, yeah. but that happens when we would live out and understand and obey his obey commandments as well. Yeah. You exist in the kingdom of God now. Yeah. You get to be in it. That That's where you, where you live. And and also with your wife and my wife is it can look like it on the surface, but not be the true spirit that we're supposed to. So you want to take joy in her joy in pleasing her. Right. So, you know, go, Oh man, she asked me to clean the garage. I'm not, oh God. no, you will have joy in that because it pleases in the same way with, with God. These, cause I think Jonathan Paggio is an icon carver and he does YouTube videos and things like that. I, I really like this guy a lot. And he clarified something that I felt, which is this Christianity is shows us if we care to follow and lead it, the patterns of reality. Right. And by that, because reality is God's creation and gives life. Right. And that's what I've seen. This stuff is perennial. It's it's you start seeing it everywhere, how wrong that we were. And that, no, this is the way this is the, the this is reality. And there are patterns in reality that you can discover all the way through. Now, when you read scripture, it isn't like, I don't know what that means. You go, oh, yeah, this is why this is happening, right? You know, when I when I describe the Christian walk or accepting Christ to, to people who don't know him or haven't accepted him as Lord and Savior, I do it in it's a thing called three circles that I, I typically do. But it's just what you said. It's the real, the, the first circle is what God created. It's this perfect world. You know, that's what God created, that the patterns and the way it's supposed to be. Unfortunately, we live in a broken world because we've left that pattern. We tried to do it on our own. We rejected God, rejected his way. We wanted our own way, but it's brokenness. And we try everything we can to get 
get out of it and do it. And like we do it through, you know, money, drugs, power, sex, all these things to try to bring us happiness, but we end up in brokenness. But what God did is he created a way through Jesus to grow back into the kingdom of God. And as we, it's almost like a filter, if you will, you know, because when we accept Jesus, he's in us. And as we start living him out, it's like, we're becoming more like him and we're experiencing the reality that God originally intended. Yes. That's the experience. And that's why we look different. That's why to the world, they don't recognize it. What, what's, what's your deal? What do you have? What are you on? You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a reality that we're living in and, and we can still see the old broken world. And I think as Christians now, it's our job to point people to the way and point people to Jesus so that they can learn and grow. It's, it's, it's a new way of living back into the way God originally designed. And that's only done through Jesus. For sure. That's at a hundred because, and, and it's not just talking about it. That's, that's, that's easy thing to do. Sometimes it's important and necessary. The effect will be your spirit that they see through your behavior, through your attitude, through the words that you are choosing automatically, you know, now because you chose them so many times that it just became a part of you. So to live this is not only beneficial for a range of health, you know, you can observe a range of health benefits from it, but it also benefits the world. One fewer angry person, one fewer, you know, resentful person and the effect that we have on even the girl making my latte, you know, I don't have to even mention the name that time. You you just build trust through that because we're known by love, right? Now we get bashed for being judgmental. All the things that we're not allowed to do, we get, you know, blamed for some of this stuff. And there've been bad examples too, but no, we, we, we love, we forgive, we trust. Now who doesn't like that? And, and, and also to go back to what you said, and I get a really good point and I wanted to make sure that we, we covered it again about humility. Okay. So now nah, I don't want to be humble. I don't want to be humble. Just ask yourself, do you like humble people? Nobody says, oh, I hate he's too humble. <laughs> Nobody says that. So if you like it, why don't you become it? Become the thing that you want to see in the world, right? Yeah, Jesus said to be the best of all, and I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, forgive me, we need to become the servant of all, all right? Yes. And just as he became the servant of all, humility, yes. that, that we find strength in humility. And, and even some of the parables that he talks about, the people who take humble positions are honored. And I don't think we do it to receive honor, because when we do, that's bad motives. No. You know what I mean? Like, oh, that, I'm going to be humble right. so that someone will notice my humility. It's like, no, that's not right either. But when I just admit I'm I'm humble and I admit I need help and I you know I admit I reach out and I admit that I'm not perfect. I believe that God honors that and and I feel stronger when I'm humble. You know what I mean? I feel stronger when yeah. I'm surrendered. He favors the humble mm-hmm. and opposes the proud. Proud, amen. So, but everything, all good things have something at least one thing that disguises as it. Mm-hmm. So pride disguises, you know, that disguise, you know, pride disguised as that happens sometimes, you know, but we'll <laughs> yeah. know he'll be known by his fruits, right? So we try mm-hmm. to really do that. I want to know, how did you come to the faith? How did you come to the cross? Well, a good question. My my dad is a pastor. So I grew up in church and I accepted Christ just out of kindergarten because my kindergarten teacher talked about hell and I did not want to go to hell. <laughs> so so I, down there. Oh, I know. I prayed that that day and I went home and I tried to lead my my four-year-old sister and my two-year-old brother to the Lord that night because I didn't want them to go to hell either. <laughs> like I was telling mm-hmm. them, you've got to pray with me. They're like, what? Like they don't get it. <laughs> um, so I, I lived a life of being a 
church, a, a preacher's son, you know what I mean? Being a good kid, did the best I could to be a good kid. You know what I mean? As a, as a teenager, I come to, I came to realize it was more of a relationship with God. And, and I, I, I reaffirmed my salvation, uh, rededicated my life to following Christ. And then really uh, as a young adult, as a young adult is when I realized that I had a, a calling in my life and, and more, more than just a calling to ministry, that it was a calling that, you know what, I don't just want to call myself a Christian or have a label that I go to a church. I want my life to be different. I want my life to be patterned after Jesus. So that's where I really feel like I, I found the cross, the, the way, and I've learned a lot of things since then. And I've, you know, been growing in my faith that way, but that's, that's where I really like my pattern of faith, you know, when I, when I came to Jesus. So I believe that even as a child, I, I understood it, you know, even I understood kind of what it meant. But I, so I really do believe that as a child, I received salvation. However, I think I've experienced it more and more and learned more about it as I've, I've became more of an adult. So anyways, that's, that's kind of a little bit of my, my story. You want to know why I believe you? Why is that? Because you said earlier on, well, I really didn't have problems with, you know, people that I had to forgive and all this. And I'm like, I, I, are you from Earth? Because people <laughs> hurt <me. laughs> on this planet. There's plenty to be resentful for if you want it to be. <laughs> And, you know, it was, I have a very, very loving father and mother, uh, very mm-hmm. loving parents, grandparents. And for the most part, even the friends I had and have had, had over the years have, you know, I mean, yeah, there are people who've hurt me in the past, but nothing I haven't had. Thank you, Lord. But I mean, some, some of the, some of the tragic things that, that people go through, I haven't had that, those experiences and not that I'm asking for them. Like, I really want that to happen. No, of course not. But like, I, I also do know that if that does happen, I know the God who is going to help me through it. Yeah. So no, I'm glad that, that that at least spoke some truth to what I say. Cause yeah, that's, that's my story of, of faith. Yeah. It's rare. I got to tell you, it's, it's rare. Mm-hmm. Have you forgiven everybody? I already asked you that. Right. So you don't have any of that stuff. You've already forgiven everybody. Right. Are you afraid of anything? Yeah, dude, failure, not living a life of, of, of purpose or, or that counts. And, and, and that's something, you know, we're not, we're also taught not to fear. That's one of the things that God gives us. You know, we're not yeah. given a spirit of fear, but as, it's as a, a reality. Command. Yeah. Right. John, uh, what is it? 1428 or 27? The Lord doesn't give you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Like, okay, uh, where is that? Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the Bible talks about, do not fear. Angels proclaim that, you know, do not be afraid, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, early on and all the way through, or, or, or peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. And, and this is really important to me. I do not give to you as the world gives. So he juxtaposes mm-hmm. that, you know, with fear. The world will make you afraid. Mm-hmm. If you watch any advertising, and that's what politics basically has the techniques that was learned from propaganda and advertising. Advertising used to be called propaganda, by the way. So it wasn't always pejorative <laughs> until the Nazis got a hold of it. But, you know, there was actually departments of pr- propaganda and things like that, or, or actually firms that would do that. But he, I do not give as the world gives. And he says, do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. When, when Christ tells you don't do something, don't do it. That's a command. He's not like, you know, making a suggestion or something that you might want to try. No, he's saying, don't be afraid. So we, we, we work at that. I think it, yeah, it, we work at that. And I think the other thing too is fear is a natural tendency. Now, I think where we become more sinful in our fear is when we live that out and, and don't turn that over to God, because things yes. are going to happen to us that are going to make us respond in like fear. And you know what I mean? And, but, but when we start living that out and like almost where, where our lives are enveloped by fear. So like what I was talking about, my, my fears of, of, you know, living a life, not of purpose or not mattering, or I think uh, a big fear of mine, I'm a people pleaser. If someone doesn't like me, 
You know what I mean? I have a fear of that. Like, what can I do? What did I do? You know what I mean? I have a fear of that. But when I, when I recognize the fear and I realize, oh, wow, I'm living in fear right now. God, that's not of you. <laughs> Why am I afraid? You know what I mean? And, and help me to, to, to dispel the fear and to, to live out your truth. Then, then, then I'm not operating in sin there, but the, the f- fears can be real. But that, yeah, those are some things. Oh, for sure. Like we don't want to miss. You. Like, look, God gave us fear, so in case I'm being chased by a bunch of jackals, <laughs> I can get a little faster or something, and and be serious about it. But fears, real fears, come quickly and go quickly after the threat's gone. That living in fear is spiritually damaging. That's what we're talking about. So yeah, you're going to be afraid of things. You're going to hit your brakes sometimes because something ran out in the road and it's going to be over. Mm -hmm. Right. But that worrying anxious fear. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, God created emotions, right? He created all these things, but he created them for us to experience life in them and true life. It's when those emotions take over or clout who God is or who we are, our identity in him, emotions, and we start living those living those out or like allowing those to operate our lives. I think that's where we distort it. Like it's it's a good thing to experience emotion. I mean, that that's something God created. So like, what, you know, anyway. We only like one of them though. The, most of them aren't very fun, but we don't like joy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that absolutely. anger and that sad, uh, we don't like those. Hey, so look, I'm keeping you a little long. I appreciate this. Oh, it's been yeah, great. No would you pray us out? Absolutely, man. Thank you for inviting me on this too. So oh, right, yeah. sure. we got to do it again. Amen. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for just the opportunity to know you. And God, that, that your truth is the same for everybody. God, for Martin, for me, for anybody who's listening to this, God, that, that you love them so much that, that you sent Jesus to make a way so that we can know you. And God, I, I just, I, I thank you for, for the many aspects of life that, that we take for granted and God, all the different ways you've created us and you, you are an awesome God. And we praise you for all of that. Lord, I pray that, that in the times where we struggle with, with the things of this world and the, the, and even just going our own way and sin and worry and fear and anxiety and the things that, that really distract us from knowing you and God, but they're real things. And, and, and Lord, you, you know that I, I pray that you would help us in those God first help us to humbly admit where we're at and admit that we need help. And God, anybody who happens to be listening to this, God, that, that they could reach out and not be afraid that, that this is something real that they need help with. And that there is help, Lord, through you and through people talking talking them through this, loving them through this. And God, that there are answers for them. And so I, I just, I pray that, that they would come to, to follow you in that way and, and experience your presence in their lives more in that way. And God, I also just pray that you would continue to remind us of, of your presence every day in our lives so that we know we're not alone. We can experience you when we wake up in the morning, as we go about our day, even in busy schedules, God, that we can talk to you, hear from you, see you show up and see the truths that you've taught us uh, lived out in our lives. And so God, continue to mold us and shape us and make us more like your son, Jesus. And, and Lord, we'll praise you for all that you do in us and through us. And thank you again for, for this opportunity, for this conversation, God. Uh, use it in whatever way you see fit to bring people to a fuller knowledge of, of the peace that you have to offer them. God, we love you and thank you so much for knowing us and loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work, and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show. Head over to drmartinfletcher.com.